Comics Monthly Monday, number 10. Hello? Yo, mama's so fat, they baptize her in tartar sauce. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak! I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, we're back. I'm back from the forest moon of Endor. And Scott Gardner, well, he's still trapped in his red state. And I'm his... back from the edge of insanity. <laughs> and I'm back we're... to the edge. And we're here with our 10th episode of the Comics Monthly Monday, which means following this episode, after, t- after every 10 episodes, the next episode will be a comic book movie. And, Woohoo! And we'll have Superman the movie, and that's going to be crazy, man. Crazy! Crazy man, like wow. Crazy man, like wow. <laughs> Superman the movie. The granddaddy of all superhero movies. We're going to start out with the biggie. Yeah. So look forward to that. And we got a big full episode today with some more Superman family, I assume, and uh, mm-hmm. some Swamp Thing and Walking Dead, of course, as always. And then blah, blah, blah. We got bonus we blah, got blah, blah. S- Bonus blah blah blah. Yeah, we got oh man, we got I got all kinds of stuff to talk uh-huh. about today. So we have no shortage of comic book talking going on for this particular episode. Imagine that. Uh, imagine that. I, I just got tons of stuff to run off at the face about. But right off the bat, I've got to throw out some thank yous. Um, big, 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 big thank yous go out to uh, Tony G, Mobile Home on the forum. Um, as Tony was headed out to San Diego for San Diego Comic-Con, the lucky bastard sent me some Star Trek comics from IDW that he picked up at... Ooh, classy. Um, yeah, it was... Oh, shoot, what's that sale? Now I'm going to kick myself. It was the big sale that everybody on the forum was talking about, and now I've just totally blanked. But anyway, he picked them up for a great price and passed them on to me and I couldn't I, I just can't say thank you enough Tony that's awesome I really really appreciate it because he could easily take these same comics that he's picking up cheap you know and and send them to me he could put slap them on eBay and make some mad money cuz I know I've been mad trying money, to buy these damn money. things yeah mad money but he sent me um what was it? it was Star Trek Assignment Earth number 1 by John Byrne Ooh I've been needing awesome, to pick that really, up myself yeah, it's they're, good. It's they're really at my good. LCS at cover price. All of them just sitting there. 
Oh, you got to get it, man. I you got to get because I want to read the rest of them now. That was that was the only thing with this is now I'm all the ones I read hooked me. I remember to where you I were hesitant. The yeah, there are. Yeah, and that's what he's doing, man. He's the pusher. <laughs> the first one's always free, man. Here, here, Scott. <laughs> try issue number one. You'll like it. No, everybody likes it. It's great. It's, well, it's John it's Byrne. Working. He's the best. It's working because now I, I am most I, definitely hooked. I gotta tell you, man. John Byrne was born to draw Terry Gar. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> he was made to uh, draw Terry Gar, like Infantino was made to draw Princess Leah. I think he was just made for Star Trek in general because yeah. all his Star he Trek loves stuff. It, obviously, oh yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Because you know, way back when he did some Star Trek illustrations for the Star Trek Who's Who. Right. That DC put out. I think it's two issues. I remember seeing those and thinking, wow, you know, how, how fantastic they yeah. were. But, you know, for one, it was John Byrne back when he was, you know, definitely on the top of his game back in the, you know, in the, in the mid eighties, but also it was heavily photo referenced. So it, it, while it was beautiful, you didn't really get, get a sense of, you know, it could have just as easily been him, you know, doing it Copy. as a lark for a few yeah. bucks, you know? Yeah, but with with the stuff that he's actually putting out for IDW right now, you can tell the man loves his Star Trek, and it shows he knows through the his writing Star Trek and, too. And oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, Tony sent me that. He sent me um, an issue. I think it was number two of Star Trek Year Four, which was really good. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do more in depth analyses on these, you know, in the future on, a, on an right. actual Star Trek episode. Yeah. But just real quick. And then it was three issues of uh, Star Trek Year Four: The Enterprise Experiment, and that was the one that really, really, really blew me away because it's a fantastic story, and it it's told over the course of a of a mini. Whereas the Assignment Earth maybe as well. I don't know. There was only just the one issue of that, so it's hard to tell if that story was going to continue through the rest of it. The Enterprise Year, or excuse me, Star Trek Year Four. I got the feeling that was individual issues were individual stories. But the other one, the Enterprise Experiment, is telling a continuing story through the issues. And it was a little tough to follow because I only had three of the series and it didn't start with number one. So I was kind of thrown right into the middle of the story. But it yeah. was really cool and I, I could follow it enough to get into it and really enjoy it. And it's one of those, much like uh, like the Romulan one that John Byrne did, it right. was one that is pulling from all over all different corners of the Star Trek mythos. And really, Pulling you know, it off bringing without making yeah, it, it ridiculous. It, it was great, yeah. Um, and, and speaking of number talk- one, have you been reading any of the new uh, Star Trek crew? The, the I, I think it's up to issue five. I read the now. last one. Yeah, I read the very last one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's, yeah did you that's like it? Pretty much the only new comic I've read. Yeah, I'm. I'm really well. It's got Pike and Spock in it, and. Uh, mm-hmm. That and and the way that well, I think Pike was introduced in four, maybe, and uh, mm-hmm. and I think, I think so, number yeah. five takes place like three years after it or something like that. So it and and that's when Spock comes in. So it's right. it's really he's really jumping around time and basically making it like, I guess the best of number one's life. You know the key points, or the key lessons, right. or the key adventures of number one. So it's it's. It's jumping in time, but it's jumping forward and just following your life. So it's going to be very interesting 
probably in the next couple issues it's going to pass the cage and he and we're going to you well, know it's we'll all done though be- number 5 was the last issue really yeah hey. it was it was just yeah yeah it was just the 5 but another hey. new number 1 by burn just got solicited cuz i ordered it in my in my last uh, order day and i can't for the life of me remember what the name of it is or what it's about but it sounded really good i just the- I, i'll have all the IDW to, Star yeah. Treks at my LCS are, are like stacked behind the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics. I asked him if they had them, and they're just like, oh, yeah, they're over there in the TV section. And, and yeah, stuffed right behind Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's just like, oh, good, they can stay right here. And it's and I have and to send you some money so you can as pick far me up as, the, the ones I'm missing. Yeah, as far as Feng Shui goes... They're in the like least likely to friendly place to be looking in the comic <laughs> shop too, so I love that. I LTS love that shit. <laughs> I LTS that at my L- LTS at my LCS. Too many acronyms, man. Too many. It's it's the acronyms, man. My brain actually <laughs> like when I hear little phrases like that or something, my brain immediately turns them into acronyms. I don't know why. I I start to get like like nom flashbacks from all the ones I had to know when I was when I was in the service, man. Oh, There's way too shit, fucking many right. of them. Every everything's abbreviated, man. Mm-hmm. Everything it's ridiculous. Anyway, I don't know what weird tangent that was all about. Yeah. <laughs> um, other uh, thank you shout outs. I got to give a big thank you shout out to my buddy Adam Tebow. He's uh, earlobe of Agamotto on the forum. A couple weekends ago, we hooked up, and remember a while back, I was bragging about that that great um, flea market that my yeah. dad took me to, and I got all those comics for it worked out to like twenty cents a piece. So for like twenty bucks, I got over a hundred books, and it was, I mean, it wasn't a bunch of crap. It was great stuff, a lot of modern stuff, you know, I recent it, back issues within list. the past few years. Yeah, I mean, just great, great stuff. So, you know, this place was north of where Adam lives and he, you know, we we had talked and for a while we've been wanting to hook up and go check it out together on some weekend, you know, when when it would be just me and him, a couple comic geeks that could take their time and really enjoy it. Whereas before it was me there with my family who were, you know, tapping their feet and looking at their watches going, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I had no time to really look. So anyway, Adam and I hooked up. I drove up to his house. He lives, you know, north of Atlanta. And uh, hooked up with him, and he drove all the way up to this place. Now, my dad had been driving before, and, you know, I don't know why it was, but for whatever reason, I didn't realize that this place is, I mean, it's like 900 miles out in the middle of fucking nowhere. So it took us forever to get there. Hey, haven't you, you know, already, poor already Adam, told this story? <laughs> did I tell this story already? Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> I can't remember what on, on, exactly. What, on an what, episode I did? I think it might have been the last Comics Monthly Monday. <laughs> Grandpa, oh, but we, <laughs> Grandpa's we telling the, his stories again. <laughs> all right, we well, can edit this. You, you, you got all the all way there, and then it was sad trombone. Yeah, the guy, the guy wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Did I really tell this story already, yes, you or did. you just heard it? No, right. no, no. I, rem- I I remember recording it. I remember listening right. to it and and editing it because you so you sort of apologized to him. All sort right. of, it was sort of if like you say a, so. I'm going to have to go back and listen to no, it. No, I, gu- I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Oh, not that I don't believe you. I just don't remember it. That's uh-huh. all. I just don't remember doing okay, it. And I don't Grandpa. remember listening to it. All right. Well, I did all that shit out then. 
<laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Chris Honeywell from Two True Freaks. Um, I'm interrupting this show because, you know, I thought about it, and Scott and I have gone over our past podcasts, and you know what? I don't think he told that story. <laughs> I don't think he told it at all. I think maybe he told it on the forum, and he told it to me, and... Basically, I'm insane, so address all your complaints to me, Chris Honeywell. And uh, Scott is neither senile or crazy, at least in this matter. I now return you to our regularly scheduled program. Oh, and also, big uh, big thank yous to the guys at Heroes Corner. I got my, my latest comics box in the mail the other day. And they sent me an awesome freebie, man. It's a black lantern ring. And I just thought this was really, really cool. You know, I'm, I'm, I ordered the, the Blackest Night, you know, the number one. And I'm reading all the, the Green Lantern books that are coming out right now. You know, the Blackest Night's the big crossover that's going on in that. I'm really digging it. And I'll go into that more later in a, in a future episode because we had a, a listener that wanted my opinion on that. So I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more in another one. But uh, I just wanted to say thanks, guys. I mean, that really was awesome. I think it's really cool. I wore it the whole day that I got it, and my wife came home from work. She's like, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> you know? But I just think it's cool. It's just this little you know, black lantern ring with that, you know, that symbol on it. The black... Yeah, it's a black yeah. lantern ring, baby. It's awesome. So anyway, that's that's it for my, my thank you shout-outs for now. Um, now uh, – I was speaking a moment ago about uh, the Comic-Con, you know, the San Diego Comic-Con. Did you watch any of that coverage that they had, uh, that on uh, on G4? I've only seen... It used seen, to be Tech TV, now it's I, G4. I don't know. I might have seen a couple. I've, 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 like, seen a lot of clips on YouTube, so I might have seen some from that. I've seen a lot of this. these two guys, Travis and Jonathan, that do the Red State Update. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I watched one of their videos... And then I just saw, you know, at the sidebar, a slew more. So I watched a bunch of their videos where they were, you know, just sort of, it, lo- it looks like you can just sort of reach out and grab a celebrity and, and start talking to them. And they would have all these little short, and they had a puppet there who was like called Mr. Slaw and was in a bowl of coleslaw. <laughs> it, it was all, it was all pretty funny. It was all just very short bits, but I, I've seen lots of little clips of of this and that and it looks i mean the the actual coverage that they had on on tv though the g4 oh, no. that g4 oh t- yeah i saw on the like front cover of the new york times there was a article about you know comic con you know becomes huge thing so now it's totally like catching on in the pop culture now, I thought that was awesome because I, I recorded all the shows that G4 did. I think it was just two shows. It was a Star Wars show that was two hours and then the actual Comic-Con show, which was three hours. And they did uh-huh. one last year as well that I watched. And I don't know if last year was the first year they did a Comic-Con episode or not. But anyway, for for at least the past, you know, the last year and then this year, they did shows but watching it this year, it really felt like an event, you know, on their channel. And I'm watching this and I'm, you know, as I started to, to watch it, particularly the Star Wars one with, you know, they, they actually had footage from a panel and all that. Right. I was watching it thinking, this is what I've been dreaming of for a long, long time, which is, you know, 
there's 80 billion friggin' sports channels out there and yeah. sports programming, and you watch the evening news and it's got sports coverage and sports, 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 sports. There's never anything for us geeks. I mean, unless it's absolutely ginormous news like Superman or Captain America dying or Robin or something like that, comics, you know, never make the news. Movies, you know, geek movies occasionally will, like if it has some wicked box office gross or something. But I'm but talking that like normal. A lot. Yeah, but I mean, you know, normal everyday comic news. And, you know, there's a new great big new thing in comics just about every week these days, it seems like. But that stuff doesn't make You're the gonna mainstream hate me. news. You're going to hate me, but What's you that? know what a lot of it, I, this is what I'm going to blame a lot of this on. Not blame, but a credit to the new Star Trek movie and mm-hmm. Iron Man. The success of both of those and the success of just like nerd movies and whether it was a critical success or not, I think um, the stupid Transformers movie made a lot of money or at least it was highly right. anticipated and and the, the uh, hoopla over the Watchmen. So now right. nerd stuff is the stuff to watch and like on... Um, this uh, horror always gets lumped in with nerds, but you know horror is a huge like on HBO they've got that True Blood vampire series, and it's it's drawing huge you know every my mom's watched episodes of it, and uh, so it's starting to you know one money talks, and once mm-hmm. they get a little sniff of like hey maybe there's some some moolah in this and. You've got the sci-fi or sci-fi or sci-fi or whatever, however you pronounce it now that it's S-Y-F-Y. Maybe that's what you just say, S-Y-F-Y. But, um, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe um, maybe people are starting to notice that S-Y-F-Y is Well, I mean, I, I'm not mad about that. I, I, I agree with you. Oh, I, yeah. You know, I think. And I think that's I just, awesome because that has been a dream of mine for a long, long time. That I'm just saying, you know, it's my, too my bad ultimate it was a new dream Star Trek movie prior to for you that <laughs> that well, helped I mean, a lot. I, I, but yeah, it does help. I mean, I, I yeah. can't, you know, I don't begrudge it. That if it helps get, you know, the 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 notice out because ultimately my ultimate dream, which will probably never be totally fulfilled, but my ultimate dream on that kind of thing is that there's a segment on the nightly news. You know that's that's devoted to geekdom, just the way the friggin' sports fans have their little sports corner of the news every night. You know, because I don't see why there's not equal time for both. Because we have news and we have rabid fandom, just like they do. You know, so I don't understand why we don't get our corner. But watching this because show, nobody's thought it's profitable until now. And Battlestar Galactica. Right. Right, and I think there's that might start that tide might be turning. You know that they're starting to realize that wow, you know that we geeks are just as passionate about their stuff. Yeah, and exactly. Maybe that, so, maybe that will give comic books a boost. Maybe if there's a I good so. if there's a good comic book show on G four, then. But there's two things I noticed. You know, there's already been a lot of talk I've I've seen in different places, you know, on the forum and just different places around the internet. And I guess this has been a complaint about Comic-Con for a while now, a growing concern, is that it's called Comic-Con, yet there's less and less actual comic book coverage all the time. It's really about, yeah, you know, the movies goes. and the games and that sort of Sadly, thing. That's, that's kind of stress. 
And I'm sure but there's I a want, lot of you know, people who liked it when it was smaller and more intimate and et cetera, et cetera. But that's how it goes. It's the right. it's the big it, whether it was I don't know if it was the first or whatever, but it's the first huge one. And it sounds like Dragon Con is sort of you know, sort of just like a, a hair breadth level under that as far as size, but probably not as in hype. But well, I just all I know is that you know they've got five hours of coverage out of this thing. You know, two hours for Star Wars and three hours for the actual Comic Con. In that entire time, I saw. I couldn't tell you what they were now, but I saw all these weird commercials. A lot of them that you watched and went, "What the hell does this have to do with anything?" You know, like I don't know, like tampon commercials or something. Not one. Because they know comic- women are watching. But there's not one comic book commercial. Now, you that would means, think... Uh, that means the comic book companies aren't buying time for some reason. That's what right. they should and be doing. Right, and that's crazy. I mean, if there's one thing that's that's going to be on TV that you would think, okay, this is the prime time for, for Marvel or DC or Dark Horse or whoever to hawk their wares, yeah. it's during something like Comic-Con coverage on television. And they didn't do it, and it shocks the hell out of me. And I was really surprised watching this when it was all over and there was not one commercial for anything. You know, any of their events, any of their characters, nothing like that. I mean, especially Dark Horse, I think, actually shocks me more than Marvel and DC because they're notoriously cheap about that sort of thing anyway. But Dark Horse, I mean, they hold the Star Wars license right now. Star Wars has really had a serious resurgence in, like, you know, popularity. I mean, with no movie coming up or anything, Star Wars is still at a at a really high sure. hype fan point right now. And I'm surprised that, that Dark Horse didn't try to take advantage of that because they are putting out some excellent comics right now, Star Wars related. But uh, I, I don't know. I just – I really almost felt like I had a, a, a glimpse of, of a possible future, you know, where this whole thing could be headed. And I, I hope it does turn into something where there's a regular geek-based show, you know, news-based. You know what I mean? Like a like almost like a, a sports center but for geeks. You know what I mean? I'd love to see something like that. But uh, at the same rate, it was With hard to watch. With a grumpy commentary by Harlan Ellison every episode. <laughs> That, wouldn't that be oh, yeah, awesome? Like yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's he, Andy he, Rooney of 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 yeah, G4. Oh Andy my God, we gotta we somebody. I, I'm too lazy to do it. Somebody out there, please email them. Everybody out there, email them and say you need to get Harlan Ellison to be your grumpy Andy Rooney, and we'll write well, him I'd, stupid letters that he can ridicule. I love that idea. What what I what I'm scared of though. The one thing that 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 was the kind of the downside to watching this, especially for five hours. Yeah, was they need to get people because watching the hosts of that was like watching a little bit too much of you ever see an episode of the home shopping network when they would do like like Star Trek or Star Wars or comics and they got the the guy that doesn't know shit about it, but he's trying to come off like he's really into it. Have I? And it's so fake and sincere that I will watch the Home Shopping Network and QVC for hours and hours and hours watching those people do their little desperate dance of death. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And these comic books, these are like putting money in the bank, you know? My kids used to love the Iron Man and, (laughs) you know? Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to read Casper the Friendly Ghost, but, you know, now you got the Spawn, and the Spawn's pretty good. That stuff, you know, 
put your kids through college. Anyway, it's wrinkle-proof. <laughs> it comes in a wrinkle-proof bag. Yep, now, this bag will keep it safe. If your cat gets near it, you know, none of the cat hair gets on the comic book. How about that? Uh, that sounds pretty accurate to what that that shit sounds like. Well, these guys were like that. They they were they were, I don't know. They were largely annoying. I thought so. They definitely have to change that up because I I felt like they were trying too hard. They were cat, to, yeah, they to were say cast. look look we're geeks too, and it, it came off as really annoying. You know what I mean? They they need to get people that. I'd like to see them just play it straight. You know, don't make little stupid jokes and don't try to show me that. That you know you're a brother and sister geek. Just get yeah, on there and be a damn newscaster. I gotta tell you, you know? once once the pop culture gets a hold of it, man, it's gonna chew. You know, it's not gonna be pretty. It's that. It's not. It's that. That's what it's gonna become. It's going to meld with Britney Spears. Unfortunately, mm. that's why. That's how. Hey, man, when you were a metalhead and listened to "Ride the Lightning" by Metallica, man, and then they did "Enter Sandman." I sat in a room full of metalheads. They were all smoking pot. They were. It was great. It was a beautiful night out in the, and they just were in college. You know, we were visiting this kid that I worked with. You know, they're about ten years younger than us. So they're all sitting in their dorm room, all stoned out. And the one guy comes in. He's like, "Dude, I got the new Metallica," and they're all just like, <gasps> "Crank it in, Enter Sandman," and they're just like, "What the hell is this?" You know, they're like, and of course that album was Metallica's biggest seller ever ever and as far as pop culture goes that was their you know as far as pop culture goes with nerd stuff this by the same token it'll be as far as pop culture is concerned star trek 2009 is the beginning of star trek you know so it's it's that same thing where it's it's but at the same time at the same time it can it will there will be a lot of crap but it will allow a lot more chances for scrappy newcomers to to you know find their way up and then they can turn shitty too but hopefully they'll be you know you gotta there's just gonna be more opportunities for scrappy newcomers and experimenters so there should be some interesting stuff happening because of it because there'll be money running around and there'll be there'll be hollywood assholes running around looking to throw money at at somebody who wrote a a short story in a sci-fi anthology magazine you know if Kilgore Trout were alive today man it would be awesome but you know I mean yeah it's it, it'll ruin a lot of stuff but a lot you know at the same time the, there'll be the, a lot more possibilities so it's it's a double-edged sword but I'm glad that it's finally comics have deserved to sell out for a long time or nerddom I should say has has uh, really uh needs to get its chance to sell out man maybe they'll have <laughs> us on a show it's a uh, it's a catchy name i was feeling so good admit. about this until i until i talked to you about it and then you know people say that to me a lot <laughs> about oh, all no. kinds of I, things i still like the idea though but well i mean it doesn't not matter anyway man left. because within like three years we're going to be living like mad max anyway you know, and and draining gas from carcasses of of tankers and stuff, so it just doesn't matter, man. <laughs> uh, moving on. Anyway, I'm reading a book right now that 
you guys, you gotta, you gotta get out and get this book. I don't know what the hell's wrong with you people, but you gotta be reading Jonah Hex. They're slow and lazy. It, what's that? They're slow and lazy and cheap. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm all about the cheap thing myself. We both know about listen cheap. To me. I, I, the number one thing I hear when when people say, you know, when you ask why aren't you reading Jonah Hex or what, you know, have you checked it out? Well, I don't like westerns. You know, get past the trappings that it's set in the old west and cowboys on horses and all that. That's just the setting. This is an awesome that's, book. You gotta be reading Jonah Hex. That's the and that's right, the basis of all good of you know any real western is is it's an allegorical tale just right. set within a framework. Well, this right now, there's an event going on, you know, and everybody's talking about all these other big events going on in comics right now, mostly with like the blackest night. Well, there's an event going on right now in Jonah Hex. It's called six gun war. And it's going to be a six part series within the series. It started with, with issue number 44 and uh, 44 and 45 are out right now. So, I mean, you, you can, you can pick them up. You can get into this story and what's awesome about it is up till now this this new Jonah Hex title this current Jonah Hex title was very much standalone stories or you know little little mini arcs within the series but they were all pretty much standalone things not a lot owing back to any previous points of Jonah Hex history or anything you could you could jump right in and you could read it without knowing anything about the character it's still that way even with this series but what i like about this particular thing this six gun war is for anybody who like me is a long time old school Jonah Hex fan it feels like all the elements of his life, all his associations and, and his friendships and his enemies and all the diverse elements of, of his mythos over the year are all coming to a head. And people that he's made alliances and, and friendships and uneasy truces with are all coming together. His two worst enemies are out to kill him. And it's it's just great. It's it's beautiful, excellent storytelling, and I, I'm so excited to see where this is going to go. You got to be reading Jonah Hex, people. It's great. Pick up an issue, try it, see what you think. I think it's just one of the best books coming out right now. It's really really good. So you know, give it a try. Even if you wait for the for the trade on this particular one, this Six Gun War, I'm telling you, it's going to be worth uh, reading. It's so far the the first two issues have just been fantastic. So check it out. Um, but I bet they will. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I ha- I hit a couple of personal milestones recently. This will be kind of a strange, strained transition, but tell me if this, tell me if you follow where I'm going with this. Okay. You know, I don't, I don't live in a mansion or anything. I live in just a, you know, just a regular house. I have so much space, you know, and it's rapidly filling up. My, my once spacious personal library in the house is getting to a point where it's feeling very claustrophobic with all the, the comics and books and just shit that I collect, right? So anyway, the other day, I hear you barking, dog. Personal what? I hear you barking, dog. I hear you barking, <laughs> fellow dog. We're both barking the same bark. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're this the man now, dog. Weird. 
strange, weird, strange show already. I can tell. So I passed the, you know, I, I keep my, my collection in two ways. You know, I, I have my collection, you know, with all my books that up until recently, I only knew how many books I, I had read because everything that I read, I, I categorize and I keep in a, in a file. So I know all the comics I've actually read, but up until recently, I didn't count in all my unread books. And it's only recently that I, I've gotten up to speed to where I have everything in some sort of database. So anyway, I, I just within the past couple of weeks passed the 10,000 mark on comics you know, which is probably a lot more than that when you consider, you know, downloaded comics and just comics I, I read as a kid that I didn't keep or whatever. But anyway, uh, of the stuff that's in a database that I actually know and is in some sort of filing system, I passed 10,000 comics, which, I, you know, I thought, wow, you know, on, on the one hand, it sounds like a lot. And then on the other hand, I think, you know, wow, 30 years, 10,000 comics doesn't sound like a lot, does it? But I guess it is. And, and I guess maybe that's a reason why I have some trouble keeping shit straight anymore. Because 10,000 comics is a lot of comics. You've sold a lot of comics, too. Don't forget. Oh, There's yeah. There's been a lot of comics yeah. that you've had that have gone. So in that in that amount of time, you can probably double that at least. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that collection that I, I lived off of selling on eBay there for, you know, for like a year was, what was it, 300,000 comics, something like that? Oh, so, yeah, 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 know, yeah. I've had a lot more than, than what I actually have. Well, and, you know, and then I recently, as far as what's in my actual collection, I passed the 16,000 mark the other day. So, you know, I've got 6,000 that I haven't even read out of the 16,000 that I have. So it's pretty crazy. But anyway, it was just, it was just kind of a, a personal milestone that I passed that I thought was interesting that I would pass it along. And then at the, about the same time that this happened, I started to really hear a lot of news and, and people were sending me little articles and little news clips and stuff. It looks for all the world like an e-reader for comics, you know, kind of like that Kindle thing, you know, that that's out through Amazon where you can read your books on, yep. on basically like the Star Trek data pad type of thing. Right. My father-in-law got one of these for Father's Day and I, 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 you know, got to play with it for a minute and thought it was just awesome. Supposedly, there's several companies that are that are, you know, hard at work to come up with something to where we can read comics on one of these things and it's going to be, I mean, the virtual experience. I mean, you're, you're going to hold this thing. It's going to be a, about the size of a comic and it's going to feel like reading a comic, but it's on your little data pad thing. And, you know, I, I threw a thing up on the forum and I encourage everybody to go to our forum and chime in. I really want opinions on this to see what people think. And there's a few posts there already. And for the most part, it surprised me how most everybody has been like, well, yeah, that's interesting, but I don't think it'll change me at all. Because, you know, i got to be honest. You know, one of the reasons I threw those numbers out there is I want people to realize I love comics. I love collecting them. I love owning a vast collection. I love having my library of books and comics, and I like the physical medium. But, you know, i got to be honest – when this thing comes along, you know, a, a true e-reader, 
And if it makes it feel like the experience enough to where it's convenient and it's, I can lay in bed the same way I read my stack of comics every night or my, you know, the, the latest, you know, paperback star Wars book or whatever. Yeah. yeah, And I can lay in bed and read that. Yeah. And it, and it's not killing me like, Mm -hmm. like reading them on the computer right now will kill my eyes, but I can lay in bed with this little pad thing and it's actually more convenient and I don't have to hold it at some funny angle because it's got that glossy fucking paper that drives me nuts. You know, I got to be honest. I think I'm done with paper. I, I think I will be done buying comics. And I wonder if if people listening to me right now are going to be shocked to hear that, you know, that somebody that that's, you know, ravidly and and is that even a word? Sure. Ravenously is what I meant to say. You know, rabidly and ravenously and, and avidly all these years collected comics and hoarded them the way I have could be willing to just say, well, that's it. I'm done. And I'm talking done as far as I'm not going to get new ones. And I might be done as far as I might clean out what I got. Really? You know, start slapping that shit on eBay, make my money. Because you know what? I think that that's. Uh, eBay will be flooded with a bunch of other people doing the same thing. Yeah, so that's kind of what I'm thinking. It'll be a feeding frenzy for all the people, the purists who will want comics. I li- I I I I'll always prefer the paper comics just because I'm into the whole printing and you know it's just uh, like books. You know, there's there's a whole there's a whole thing about them, opening them up and and the ads and all that fun stuff. But that would be more like huh? – I don't think I would be buying new ones like that unless it was something – but you know, I would still be interested in back issues and stuff like that for sure. I don't know. I, I mean it, – It's the nostalgia year, factor with that. You know, but that's the thing is you know, it's funny because I've always been a big nostalgia person. I'm big on the nostalgia factor. I mean my, my collecting habit has always been about the nostalgia factor for me. And a year or more ago, if somebody had told me that, that oh, you know, one day you're, you're going to be ready to just, you know, go straight to – I'd have told them they were crazy. Because, you know, when the, when the whole downloading thing and the CBRs and the scanned comics and all that – first started to get really big and I was, you know, I got to a point where my collection of, you know, e-comics, scanned comics, whatever the hell you want to call them, was 10 times the size of my physical collection. You know, there was a lot of talk started to float around on the internet about, you know, could you see yourself, you know, ditching the paper and going to the digital and and i was one of the people saying hell no you know i love the paper there's no way i could ever do it but that's when we were reading this stuff you know when you're when you're changed to your computer or chained to your laptop the way of the future you know you had to read it that way but now that they're coming to something that's like i've always said you know that the little star trek data pad type of thing you know I, That's I don't... cool in itself. <laughs> it's just a different yeah. kind of cool than a comic book, you know. Having your having a Star Trek data pad. That's pretty nerdy. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, with one of those things, 
you know, and, and, and if you know, you know, if you, you know where to go and then of course, not just, you know, through the, the scanning channels and the bit torrents and all that, but also the, the comics companies themselves are going to start mining their own material. So within a very short period, I think the complete library of comics, except for like something ultra friggin' rare where there's just like, like no copies right. left in the world anymore. You would still buy Everything action number one if you found it at a flea market, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely. But what I'm saying is, I mean, the the entire thing, you know, the entirety of comics history is going to be at your fingertips with one of these things. How can you compete with that on paper? And why would you even want to? Why would you want to keep up with this giant collection that is taking up massive amounts of room in your in your house that is a potential gold mine if you know when to act before you know because it's it's like stocks you know they rise and fall in prices this whole digital thing could change that whole back issue collector's market to where something that's worth You're a lot of money to trick today people into selling all their comics on eBay aren't you this is just a big manipulation don't no, listen I'm not, to it I'm, folks I'm actually, I'm actually looking at it at the fact of I don't know. You know and I, I've often been asked this question. What What are you going to do with all those comics? My wife wants to know this badly. What are you going to do with all those books? I think she's hoping that I'm going to say, well, you know, I'm getting kind of tired of them. Maybe in a year or two I'm going to sell them all. I don't know what she's waiting for me to say. But, you know, once my collection started to get big, you know, I started to think about this. You know, where where am I headed with this? Is it just something I'm going to do all my life, and when I die, whoever, you know, I'm going to leave it to other people to fucking worry about where the stuff goes, or am I going to actually try to plan for, you know, when I'm gone, what happens to it? And I got to thinking, why should I wait, you know, until I'm gone? And you know, if if there's a potential monetary value in it and believe me that's not what i'm in the hobby for i'm not a speculator by any stretch of the imagination however 10,000 com or rather 16,000 comic books has a significant price tag attached to it and why should i just let it sit here and never pay a dividend for all those years you know especially if this whole digital revolution has the potential to seriously affect that monetary value in a negative way. What I'm saying is right now, those comics have a particular value a year from now, when one of these reader things comes along and it is the great revolution in comics that it potentially could be. If it suddenly takes a serious bite out of the back back issue collectors market, then I've waited and I'm a dumbass because then I've, I've lost, you know, it's almost like, people that lost money in their 401k or whatever, they didn't actually lose shit. They never had it to begin with, but they feel like they lost something because they had potential there that they didn't take advantage of at the time. And now it's not worth anything. That's how I feel about this with my paper collection is that if I don't do something with it now down the road, I may regret not having done it because then it's not worth I won't say anything because I think that there will always be people that will want the physical thing. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That I, I'm taking a potential, you know, loss. You know, I say that in quotes, loss in quotes, you know, versus what I could get out of them if I act at the right time. So I don't know. I'm, I'm really – I want to hear feedback on this. I want to know what do you people think. Am I nuts? 
am I right? Am I somewhere in the in between? I want to know what people think because I don't know. I'm I'm really giving this a lot of thought because I used to think, you know, one of the other things was, you know, I thought, well, you know, it'd be really nice to like leave these to my kids or to leave them to some, you know, museum of comic book, blah, 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 or whatever. But, you know, I don't, I don't know that I think that way anymore because with, with the digital thing coming down the road, is anybody going to want the paper? You know? Well, it will become the domain of antique collectors. Right. But my kids, for example, are my kids or my grandkids, are they going to want paper comic books in the future? They'll probably, they would probably laugh. It would probably be like an oddity to them because in, in the world that they're going to grow into and grow up in, that it's that's going to be, I think, a, a dinosaur. I really do. I think that anything that, you know, if they want to read Spider-Man number 299, they're going to you know, go onto a disc or on the internet or whatever and get it. They're not going to seek it out as a paper medium in the future. I just, I really don't believe that the people that will are the, you know, us of that period. You know what I mean? The future us, the people that are, that grew up on paper and can't let it go. But I don't think that the paper comics are, are going to continue viable you know, for the new generation coming up. I think eventually, I, I, you know, if anybody's going to have the easy transition to the digital, it's the, it's the people coming up that aren't as attached to it as us old farts. Right. Right. That's always how it is. I don't is. know if that logic follows, but that's yeah, how that's, I feel. About that's it. exactly the so, pattern of history. Right. iPods. So CDs. For it, records. Right. Exactly. So for a change, I would like to actually be on the, the right side of that, of that thing, you know what I mean? And not be, be left holding the bag. That's not worth as much as it was beforehand. Worthless comics. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's, that pains me to feel that way, but that is kind of how I feel is that, you know, like I say, I'm not in it for the money. However, (laughs) you know, nobody wants to feel like they've wasted their time for, you know, 30 years either, you know, wasted their money. So, I don't know. I'm curious to see what other people think, but uh All right, so now I've whoa, got a quick be- bit of uh whoa, what? What? I got a quick quick bit of uh Oh my god, this is a weird episode. A quick bit of feedback here from Mr. Mei Chun. And he writes to us, he says, "Since you were asking for feedback in episode 57, and I don't even remember what episode 57 was to be honest with you. He said about this topic and because I've enjoyed reading in the forums about other people's decisions concerning the rising price of comics, uh-oh, this is a sore subject, I thought I'd add in my own two cents. At first, I was as outraged as Scott was in the ad parody of The Incredible Hulk that you've been playing about the three ninety nine cover prices. However, I've since mellowed because I've picked up a few of the three ninety nine comics and was satisfied with the content uh, that I got in some of them. It does make me more selective than before in what titles I will try. I'm more willing to take a chance on comics that are either under that $3.99 mark or provide more content, such as titles from publishers like Radical and Dynamite. I will say that this increases the number of comics that make it to my buy-them-if-I-see-them-cheap list. Amen to that, brother. 
there are the comics uh, that I'd pick up if they were cheaper or if I had a bigger budget, but not titles that I commit to getting every month. For me, I envision myself continuing to get new comics into the future, although possibly fewer titles depending on uh, how much the prices rise. Much of my enjoyment of comics comes from the serial nature of the books, uh, getting weekly installments and having time to digest and think about the issues before the next ones come out. I went through the phase where I was just getting titles out of habit and not really enjoying some of them. Now, I don't mind dropping a title in mid-arc if I don't like where the story or art are going. So all of the regular comics that I purchase are ones uh, that I look forward to and can't wait to read. However, I understand Scott's position in having tons of backlog to read and being able to find recent comics cheaply at local cons. In regards to the Swamp Thing and the Walking Dead coverage in your Comics Monthly Mondays podcast, I haven't read Swamp Thing, and although I've read issues of The Walking Dead in the past, I don't currently read it. Why not, man? Why not? Uh, I read along with you for the Star Wars and Star Trek comics, but don't follow along as closely on the other titles. I still enjoy hearing all your thoughts on various stuff like the issues of Superman Family, and that's from May Yi. And uh, excellent. I mean, he's got some great points in there. And I just want to point out, if you guys haven't listened to it, because I don't think I've mentioned this on the show before, I was a call-in on um, a recent episode of Alternate Reality, uh, the Alternate Reality podcast. If you look back in their in their most recent episodes, I think it's issue, or excuse me, episode two thirty three, if I remember right, but don't hold me to that. I called in. Um, to talk to John about, you know, when he's one of the hosts of that show about um, current comics and some of the goings on. And one of the things that we got into in our discussion was buying comics just as a habit. You know, like if you're buying, say, well, like John Superman, for example, but you're not enjoying it, I really, I challenge people to break that habit. And I know it's hard, but I'm telling you, You'll have such a sense of personal freedom and accomplishment if you can bring yourself as a as a diehard collector of of some title to break that habit and, and get away from something that you're buying simply because you've always bought it versus you're buying it because it's awesome. And I'm telling you, we're living in these times where comics are four bucks a whack. Man, you, you can't afford to be buying something that's shit just because you don't want a hole in your collection. You know, I, I really feel passionately about that. I don't buy – I mean my my want, my pull list these days is mighty small. And the moment a book starts to suck, it's gone. I don't have money for books that stink. And, you know, like right now I'm on the fence with, with uh, Justice Society. I love that book. I've enjoyed that title, you know, from way back when it was JSA, but I'm not crazy about the new direction. I'm giving it one more issue, you know, so it's that sort of thing. Don't be afraid to, you know, go, oh, God, you know, I've always bought, you know, book X. I, I can't afford to, you know, have this hole and what am I going to do? You know what? The world will go on. You'll be just fine. If it sucks, drop it. Pick up something else. There's tons of other great comics out there, uh, you know, like The Walking Dead. Which may he's not reading. I also say read Jonah Hex. What'd you say, brother? Weird. Well, I, Walking Dead Weird. to me is like a Lay's potato chip. You just can't eat just one. 
<laughs> and it's greasy and salty. Yeah, it is. It makes your ass big. Read Walking Dead. It makes your ass huge. <laughs> yeah, but it's with... Oh, my God. Are we both in, like, a weird-ass funk movement? It's with necrotic, you know, decomposition. Your boat, butt actually bloats up. Zombie butt. Read Walking Dead. It hardens your arteries. All right. So, <clears throat> I need to get into Superman Family. And I'm going to try to really work through this one because I realized that we ran way long in the opening segment. So Superman family number 191. We're going back to September, October 1978 for this keen issue covered by uh, Buckler and Giordano. This issue, Superboy joins the lineup of features. And I love, you know, Silver Age Superboy. I really do. You know, this is Superboy. Superman when he was a boy, rather than, you know, a whole different character like he is today. Anyway, right out of the gate, we get a uh, fantastically well-drawn Superboy tale by Tom DeFalco with art by Jim Staten. I love Jim uh, Joe Staten. Great artist. Uh, in this story, Superboy must stop a robot that, of course, turns out to come from Krypton. I mean, you know, what from Krypton didn't survive the destruction of the planet in pre-crisis Superman lore? I think that would be the better list to make is the stuff that, that the didn't suburbs. survive. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's ridiculous. So anyway, he's got to stop this robot from uh, fulfilling its programming and finding a suitable uh, relocation spot for the um, Kryptonian people. Uh, it is determined that Earth will do. And it sets about shrinking the population of the Earth. Superboy tricks it uh, into the sun where it goes, uh, you know, goes kablooey. It's not the greatest story ever told, but it's always a treat to see Joe Staten's work. He's just a phenomenal artist. And he's one of those, you know, he's another one. Uh, there's uh, so many great comic artists that you just don't hear enough about. And he's just another one of them. Just a, a fabulous artist. And, uh, you know, I, I recommend this issue for, you know, if for nothing else, just to see his art. It's great. There's a Jimmy Olsen tale that I didn't read with him and the Newsboy Legion versus some fashion, fashion challenge twinned villains. Um, in the crypto segment, Crypto and Ed Lacey are driving into Chicago in the beginning of his tale, which brings up the question of, you know, where the hell did they get a car? Weren't they just hobos on the train a couple of issues ago? So I, you know, I don't know. Did they steal this car? You know, super. Uh, you know, uh, crypto went and f fetched the car for Ed. I don't know where the hell the car comes from. But anyway, they're stuck in a traffic jam. Crypto flies ahead to scope out the situation. He spots Ed's fugitive nephew. You know, remember that's who they've been hunting for all this time, and he prevents him from being offed by someone that Joe Skinner sent to kill him. Skinner. And then he just fly Sorry. <laughs> and he. He flies back to Ed. So that's a pretty, you know, brief and kind of pointless tale, really. I mean, he finds the kid, but then he just prevents him from getting killed and flies back away. to Ed. And it's, huh? Ed Rice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you have to edit that out. They won't know who the hell you're talking about. They will now. Ed Rice. Uh -oh. That's all. Eddie Spaghetti with the all meatball right, eyes. Super what? Oh yeah, Eddie, Eddie Spaghetti with the meatball eyes. We'll have to tell that story sometime. Yeah, it's just a teaser. 
So Supergirl, you're throwing off my stride. Supergirl returns to her life at New Athens Experimental School. What the hell is an experimental school? Sounds sounds like Professor X type thing. I don't know. I think experimental. I don't know. My mind's going to like weird and dirty places. I'll just keep going. Yes, Supergirl experiments. (laughs) That's a comic for you. Experimenting with Supergirl. So she. I'd actually. I might check that book out. All right, you'd check it out, and you'd probably ruin it the first time you read it. (laughs) Like it? I ruined it. (laughs) So anyway, so she settles in to watch. Uh, let's make a deal, which gets interrupted by a special news bulletin. A brilliant young scientist that Supergirl went to school with has apparently blowed himself up. Now, wait a minute. Didn't Supergirl go to an all-girls school? Or am I thinking of the movie? I'm thinking of the all-girls school. <laughs> I don't know. I forget. But anyway, you know, we then cut to Negative Woman, Tempest, Celsius, and Robot Man. I think I dated Doom Negative Patrol. Woman once. <laughs> uh, they're on a vacation overseas where a sudden series of explosions keep them busy. You know, they're saving lives and keeping people from being squanched by falling debris. And Celsius spots an armored guy fleeing the scene. So he and Robot Man give chase, and they're flattened to the ground by the dude's gravitronic ray. We cut back to Linda Supergirl Danvers driving to check on her scientist friend, which again raises the uh, question in my mind, why in the hell would you own a car if you could fly? I mean, even if you own the car to protect your secret identity or whatever. Maybe you just like the experience of driving a car. Lots of people do. Many people do. Yeah, but, I don't know. but she can fly and run at super speed and stuff, you know? Maybe you have to drive I, in a car to truly appreciate flying at super speed. Uh, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I'm trying. Well, I mean, also, why Why would she, even if she, okay, I, I can buy this to a certain degree, but why drive all the way there? I mean, save your time, you know, save yourself some time and gas money. Just kick you know, not your to feet mention to the, the floor, fact that, kick your feet through the floor like Fred Flintstone and just, boom. <laughs> Maybe this is the real heart of this matter. It's not that I begrudge her owning a car and wanting to drive and be normal or whatever, but it's the fact of, all right, look, God damn it, she can fly. She yeah. She's a, a drain on on our valuable resources because she can fly. How many times do so you see Clark Kent using... getting out of a car? He'll get out of a taxi now, every once in a while. A taxi, yeah. Uh, the only time I can ever remember seeing Clark Kent behind the wheel of a car is in that DC Comics Presents story where he goes off to die with Swamp Thing in it. That was a great story, by the way. We're going to yeah. have to get to that time. But, I mean, seriously. I mean, she's just wasting gas that we need, God damn it. Yeah. You know, this is a non-renewable uh, uh, resource. So I think she's doing it just to piss off normal people. I don't know. I, it just irritates me. Anyway... She's stopped and harassed by this asshole cop when suddenly an atmospheric disturbance tears up the street and it flings all these cars around and stuff. And basically it simulates an earthquake. And there's this really cool panel of this so dude. So she didn't even you know, have to cry to get out of the ticket. <laughs> yeah, the cop like ran away or got crushed or something. Well, there's this really good panel. You know, this guy, 
he's uh he's running past a building that's on fire but if you look at it just right or like as you're flipping the page or whatever it looks like he's actually running with his head and shoulders on fire it's pretty awesome so supergirl she finds out a hatch to an underground tunnel that she guesses you know probably leads to her friend's private lab and all that and she starts to go fly in and she gets knocked on her ass by this ray blast out walks her friend and he's dressed in the suit that reminds me a lot of luminous from the superman the animated series anyway he's blasted supergirl and then he uses the forces of gravity and uh he takes off into the sky and he accelerates to the speed of light supergirl freaks out and we get her you know her thought balloons are of how this will open some sort of pandora pandora's box of disaster that the atmosphere will rip rip away from the earth's surface and Oceans and continents will go spinning off into space and, you know, heaven help us, it's already begun. And the story ends in this, you know, pretty cool cliffhanger with Supergirl and all these people and cars and trees and houses and shit. They're all flying up into the air completely out of control. It's really... But I don't get her little scientific explanation about how this guy basically, like, going into warp speed is, is like, you know messed you know it's like basically ripped the atmosphere away from the planet i mean doesn't superman do this sort of shit all the time you know it back in the day he would you know be watching the planet you know scrud off in some distant galaxy and you know they, they were getting endangered or something so he'd zip off and he'd be there in in instance you know and it'd be like okay it's the same thing why didn't Meanwhile, superman he rip peels the atmosphere, the atmosphere off the earth yeah <laughs> shifts the earth orbit into the moon and comes back and is like, oh, shit. Whoops. New, gotta bad. find then a he's new gotta, planet. <laughs> well, then he's got to turn the world back and, you know, reset everything. <laughs> so I didn't read the Lois Lane story. You know, sue me. Just not into Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane solo stories. I'm sorry. Even when the art's beautiful, the stories are, are generally just lame. There was a short and goofy Superman story in which Clark Kent has to talk uh, his millionaire Uncle Kendall out of leaving all his money uh, to him, you know, to Clark, when the old guy kicks the bucket. For whatever reason, he doesn't want the money. I, I don't know. The old guy kicks it's the not... bucket. The old guy kicks the bucket. <laughs> it's not the most exciting story, but it was interesting to me because I didn't realize that the pri- uh, yeah the pri- the pre-crisis Clark Kent had any living relatives. I, I don't know if I just forgot this or, or never knew it or what, but not only does he have an uncle who is Jonathan Kent's brother, but he has a cousin, Jillian, who's also last name Kent, but she's not Kendall's daughter. So Jonathan Kent, I guess he must have had at least one other sibling. I, I, I just thought it was really interesting. I just I never knew this element of, of pre-crisis Superman. There's got to be a family was... tree somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, what's his name that E. Nelson Bridwell, who was like, you know, like the ultimate authority on all this pre-crisis Superman. So he probably came up with something like that. I mean, he was the one that like charted the moons of Krypton for God's sake. So right. I'm sure he had all this stuff worked out. So lastly, you know, we got the uh, Nightwing and Flamebird uh, story. Nightwing and Flamebird have to solve something of a locked room murder mystery. Cor Am dies live on the Kandorian equivalent of TV, and it's up to Nightwing and Flamebird to figure out what killed him. They figure out that it wasn't natural causes, but he was in a locked room by himself. So, you know, who done it? 
Well, long story short, Coram was a bad, bad boy who, it turns out, was embezzling funds from the credit computers. And because of his position as a government-employed scientist, it kept the spotlight on him. And he used this dude, Gavette, as a front. But Gavette got greedy and wanted all the money, so he used a thought transfer helmet oh. to implant. Uh, you know, yeah, you get those, you know, at the, at the hardware no! store. <laughs> no! Neutralizer. So he uses this helmet and he implants a signotic, uh, yeah, signotic. I cannot talk tonight. Hypnotic suggestion. Maybe a synodic suggestion would actually be a lot funnier. He'd just run at the nose all the time. It sounds like implants- psychobabble, you know, with his synodic <laughs> connection is all completely messed up, doctor. <laughs> Apply the neural neutralizer. There you go. Well, he <laughs> he gives a uh, he puts a hypnotic suggestion into Coram's brain. And when Coram hears the trigger words, you know, he died. So Gavette figured that since this happened live on TV, that that would be his perfect alibi. But he failed to consider one very important fact, that Nightwing and Flamebird are just too damn smart for him. So, I don't know. It was kind of a silly story, but it was kind of cool. The art was nice and everything. That's it for Superman number 191, the quick and dirty nice. lowdown. It was keen. All right. I'll go out with take my negative woman, please. <laughs> Oh, hello. Welcome to the Freak Museum. Why don't you come inside? Yes, watch your step. Yes, come this way. You'll notice to your left a perfectly preserved wild Waffledorfer beast. And over here, we have our newest acquisition. A rare example of the true freak. We've acquired two of them from different parts of the country, no less. Oh, don't worry. They're quite restrained well. Yes, we've sedated them with uh, Back to the Future 1 through 3. They've watched them 84 times, so they're quite harmless. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't get your finger too close to his mouth. He'll snap. Yes, just keep your distance and you're quite safe. But, wait. Let me turn this music off. You think that's freaky, huh? Well, listen to this. Turn on the record, Flyer! Cover your ears, everyone! Saga of the Swamp Thing. Okay, this is Saga of the Swamp Thing number six from October 1982. Cover on this one by Tom Yates, 
who also provides the interior art. And this covers of Swamp Thing fighting this creepy eyeball tentacle creature straight out of Star Trek Three: The Search yeah. for Spock. I, th- I think they really look a lot like that that Genesis creature that. Creature. Yeah, that thing that Chris Lloyd fights down on the Genesis planet. Nice cover, though. I really do like the, the cover on this one. Written by uh, Martin Pascal again. We open with a shot of Casey's mom awakening in the hospital and asking about her little girl. Uh, we learn that the girl we've come to know as Casey is actually named Karen. When the mom learns that her husband shot her, she tells the doctor that he did the right thing, and he asks if... Uh, the father got Karen too if he shot Karen too he tells her that the girl has disappeared but not to worry that he believes that she's safe the the mother then proceeds to give the doctor a locket that will help him find Karen and when he does she begs him to kill her for god's sakes kill her before it's too late <clears throat> and you know then then yeah and then she dies the doctor removes his mask and we see that he's actually Dennis Barkley from the last issue. He's, he's not a doctor with that hospital at all. We cut to outside the hospital where Liz Tremaine and Swamp Thing, they're just kind of hanging out in this van. They're waiting for Dennis to come out and rejoin them. And as he leaves the, the dead woman's room, he's spotted by a nurse and you know he has to hightail it out to the van and the trio. You know They speed off down the road. Liz Dennis and Swamp Thing, they all compare notes and rehash events, uh, which basically encapsulates the story so far leading up to, you know, Dennis informing Swamp Thing that Casey's real name is Karen Clancy. And he presents Swamp Thing with the locket, which Swamp Thing realizes is engraved with the letters KC. You know, Casey, get it? So Swamp Thing gets it. And it further convinces him that she is a telepath. So then the group, they come upon this jackknife tractor trailer roadblock and Liz gets out to investigate. And she's asking, you know, how long is it going to take to clear it when suddenly (gasps) it's a trap. The cops are actually Sunderland Corps thugs and they're out to recapture our heroes. So Swamp Thing, he comes busting out of the side of the van, all Incredible Hulk style. It's actually a really cool looking panel. And he's, you know, has a tussle with the goons. and He's trying to fight them off and everything. Liz, meantime, is captured. She's actually lassoed by Harry Kay, who's overhead in a helicopter, if you can believe all that. So Dennis and Swamp Thing, you know, they try to rescue her, but they're forced to flee when the copter opens up on them with machine gun fire. So they race to the van, and then they take the van, and they race into the woods where the copter can't pursue them. So then we cut to a shipboard conference room where Harry Kay has called an emergency meeting of the executive committee. But it, you know now he's late for this very same meeting that he called, and the, the members of the committee are getting kind of pissed off that he hasn't shown up yet. Kay radios ahead, and you know he tells them that he's on his way and that he's recaptured the reporter woman. And then he also, you know, he has a little conversation with this new associate of his, who I think he looks an awful lot like that Lothar guy from the Rocketeer, you know, the big enforcer guy. You know who I'm talking about? He looks like Rondo Hatton, the actor. I think Lothar. Yeah, was, yeah, uh, that's was, the guy. Uh, was yeah, it was a play on Rondo Hatton. So it's it's the, there's one picture that's just like the studio publicity picture of Rondo Hatton. 
Of yeah. course, yeah, Doctor, that's the guy. Of course. Yeah, yeah, that's him because Lothar, I think, in in the Rocketeer was based on that guy. So yeah, we're talking about the same guy. So I'm going to call him Lothar just for reference because I don't think they name him in this issue. So Harry, um, he knows somehow he knows that Swamp Thing is now in possession of Casey's locket. And he tells this Lothar guy that when, when Swamp Thing uses the locket, that Lothar is going to be able to tap into it. So we're, we're kind of left with a bit of a mystery on how all that's going to work and what's going on there. Um, General Sunderland, boy, that's hard to say. General Sunderland, meanwhile, you know, he's the, he's in on this board meeting. He's like the big head honcho at this board meeting. He informs the other board members that they'll all be staying aboard and going on a cruise with the ship when it leaves since Harry won't be arriving there until the ship's actual departure time. Um, we're then treated to a scene of a couple of the ship's crew and they find a dead crewmate and they just decide to get the body out of sight before the passengers come aboard, which I, I got to That's how they roll of, on know? cruise ships. Yeah, anyway, I, I guess when, there, when there's a murderer on board, you know, it's just business as usual. That's, what, hey, that's how it's played out in real life, too. <laughs> I guess <laughs> you'd think they'd be concerned about like passenger safety or what, but it's like, well, gee, we can't let the passengers find out that there's Cover a psychopath on board. Yeah, I guess so. So anyway, we cut back to Dennis and Swamp Thing, who are hiding out in the Everglades. And Dennis comes to the decision that he's grown kind of fond of Liz, which I thought, wow, that was fast. And he's decided that he's going to risk everything and he's going to go after her. And he demands that Swamp Thing helps. And he tells of his plan to stow away aboard the ship that he heard mentioned uh, by the bad guys while they were capturing um, Liz earlier. So Swamp Thing, meantime, he's actually thinking more about Casey and he's you know, holding the locket and he feels like he can sense her through it. Like he, he senses that she's close by unknown to him. This Lothar guy is sensing swamp thing, sensing Casey through the locket. And he uses that to track Casey down. So then he sends armed men up this Canyon wall to get her, but she basically uses the force and shoves the guys off this cliff. So back aboard the ship, you know, we, we see this scene where Swamp Thing and Dennis come busting out of this crate that they've stowed away in, and then they split up. Swamp Thing is, like, immediately attacked by a giant orange tentacle. And Dennis, he's lurking outside the cabin where Harry Kay is watching um, the general, you know, General Sunderland, get into what looks an awful lot to me like a, a kid devil outfit. You know, he's preparing to go to a, a costume ball that's being held that evening aboard the ship. Then Liz comes walking up to the door and she's dressed a lot like Slave Leia and she's carrying this tray with like champagne and glasses and all this stuff. And Dennis realizes that she's been drugged and so he can't really snap her out of it or anything. So he gives her this sort of like Vulcan nerve pinch type of thing, knocks her out and he carries her to a deserted cabin. Swamp Thing, meanwhile, you know, he's down in the hold. He's fighting for his life against all these orange tentacle things. And uh, he gets thrown against some cargo crates and he's injured. And he uh, he realizes that his sap-like blood 
burns these tentacle things like an acid. So he uses that trick to, to drive them away from him. So then uh, General Sunderland and Harry Kay, they leave the general's quarters and they fail to notice this dropped tray, you know, with the broken champagne bottle and everything that's outside their door. But, you know, wouldn't you think they'd have heard that? I mean, it's right outside the door where they were. And that, that seemed kind of odd to me that they didn't even seem to notice her drop this tray full of glass shit on the floor right outside where they were. Anyway, Liz comes to in the darkened cabin with Dennis watching over, and they decide that they're going to crash the costume ball. Dennis disguises himself in an outfit that was uh, supposed to have been worn by one of the general's men. And Liz, she just goes back into her, you know, her act of being all drugged out, you know, like she's she's still all wonked out by this. And they go and they join up with the general who doesn't realize that, you know, Dennis is just in the costume of one of his people. He thinks it's this other guy, this employee or whatever. Suddenly the 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 crock, the clock strikes midnight and it's time for everybody to unmask. And Liz and Dennis, they start to panic, but before they can unmask, um, dozens of other people remove their masks and reveal to the horror of all the other guests that they are bloodshot, one-eyed, inhuman freaks. And yes. Story ends. Yeah. I, I thought this one improved a little bit. It's a little less wordy, even though he does get in a lot of dialogue and a, a good page and a half of recap of, he, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of exposition. It, it, it has a lot of stuff happen in the story anyway, even if some of it's a bit ridiculous. The art, I like the art in this one a lot. It's It's... Yeah, really too. nice to look at, and uh, you know, sort of, sort of like a tribute to old horror movies, you know, and the shading and stuff like that. So that that was cool, but you know, eh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, you know, I like the Rondo Hatton reference, and uh, and uh, but you know, some of the story elements are are really ridiculous, like just the whole costume ball thing. There's a whole like rapes subtext too where basically you know Sunderland's like hey I'm bringing back drug Liz Tremaine I'm gonna have my way with her and then he Mm -hmm. figures the guy and the donkey you know the guy who was supposed to bring her there actually took off with her and he was like well I'll deal with him later you know right you know he's probably having his fun and I'll I'll talk you know I'll dress him down when I see him so that was a bit that you know that was kind of a little bit of creepy subtext it wasn't even that subtext it was pretty much spelled out so that was fairly a, uh, adult for for the Swamp Thing at this point. You know, the Swamp Thing gets more sort of adult-oriented, not adult-oriented, like, yeah, kind of adult-oriented, but, you know, more more appealing to adult minds and sensibilities. But yeah, what'd you, what'd you think of the uh, Phantom Stranger? Uh, Phantom Stranger thing. It was good. It was it was sappy. You know the death takes a bride story. You know where where the woman dies and she's not supposed to die. So the Phantom Stranger investigates and is going to make a big issue of it with death. And then she's like, "No, I want to be here." And she gives death the human side. It's a very it's it's just a little sketch of a story, you know. But the art's great. But you know, uh, see, whole, like, I don't, I don't care for you, for 
your daddy's in there waiting for you, daddy. Yeah, well, yeah I I, I thought that I thought the part with the little boy was kind of moving and all that, and there were elements of the story. I mean, it is short; it's just a couple of pages, yeah. but. For one thing, I've I'm on the opposite end with the art. I've never liked Dan Spiegel's art. It's just I don't know. It just it reminds me of the it, old it like looks Ripley's a, Believe It or Not comics I used to read when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, like ghosts or or one of those kind of things. Yeah, I know what you mean. But also, uh, it bugs me that you know the 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 whole story, the whole reason the Phantom Stranger's in this story is he sees the girl get hit or whatever there's some sort of i guess it was a traffic accident and he follows her what i'm assuming must be her soul up to death's room in this building and he barges in and he's basically look it's not her time yet you have to give her back but then by the end of the story he just kind of accepts everything that happens instantly yeah yeah it's there's no he went up there you know, kind of itching for a fight for this girl's soul. And at the end of the story, it just kind of ends where he doesn't say or do anything. And it was like, well, that was, you know. Well, because she was like, I want to fight be here. very hard. Well, because he was yeah. he was like, I will fight this to the death. And then she's like, well, no, wait, you know, he's my boyfriend. Oh, he's your boyfriend. Okay. <laughs> That's right. You got to be dead to live. All oh, right, right. Okay. Well, I guess you're good with kids, so I'll leave you two to your your wedding night, <laughs> basically. Yep. So there you go. Yeah. It was. It was. Eh. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah. I'm I'm curious where the part two of this swamp thing story goes because I I honestly can't remember. I remember little bits the next and pieces. Part, so. I know where it leads after this storyline. I remember that better than I remember this actual storyline. But you know what? Like, we'll find like, out next Comics Monthly Monday. Cool. Will the Swamp Thing sap like blood? Factor into the story. Find out next month. And there came a day, a day unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes and heroines found themselves united against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes no single superhero could withstand. Through the years, their roster has prospered, changing many times, but their glory has never been denied. Heed the call then, for now, the Avengers Assemble! The Avengers Assemble Podcast, available now at AvengersAssemblePodcast.Libson.com. The Walking Dead. All right. Now we're back for another uh, exciting episode of The Walking Dead. From uh, Walking Dead number 10. Same creative team, you know. Adler, Kirkman, and... What was it? Rathburn? Cliff Rathburn? So if you remember the last one, Rick and Tyrese and his son Carl had got, it's winter and they've gone out hunting and, uh, while they were out hunting, somebody shot Carl and, uh, it was this guy who thought they were zombies and he comes running out, I'm sorry, and Rick, you know, takes his guns like, I'll kill you. Well, in this one, you know, he's, he's still yelling at the guy and Tyrese says, hey, your kid's still alive. And then Rick completely sort of blanks a little little bit and then uh 
you know, snaps to it and gets Carl up. And the, the man that just shot Carl says, you know, we should go to this farm where he's staying and see if the owner can patch Carl up. And uh, so Rick immediately agrees and follows him. And Tyrese goes back to the RV to get the rest of the crew and uh, meet Rick on the farm. So we get to the farm and we find out Carl Shooter's name is Otis. And uh, the farmer, you know, jumps right in and immediately moves, removes a bullet as Rick just stands there <laughs> watching what? They, they should have drawn him drawn him to look like Ned Beatty if his name is going to be Otis. I should have killed Mr. Luthor. I always think of Otis as uh, Otis, the drunk guy on the Andy Griffith, Griffith show. When I think of Otis, I think of like, uh, the old drunk in the... So uh, anyway... The farmer removes a bullet, and Rick's just sitting there sort of stunned, and uh, and Laurie and the rest of the crew show up, and the, the, the farmer's name is uh, Herschel Green, and uh, he finds out the bullet was in Carl's shoulder. It's not so bad. It could have gone into his lungs, but it, you know, it just hit the shoulder, and he patches him up, and it looks like he'll probably be okay. And uh, he introduces him to all his kids, Lacey, Arnold, Maggie, Billy, and uh, the twins, Rachel and Susie, I believe they're twins. And uh, they and Otis and his girlfriend, Patricia, are staying at the farm until this whole zombie thing blows over. <laughs> so, um, you know, while Rick and Lori are watching over Carl, Tyrese goes and talks to Otis and tells him, you know, to sort of take it easy and not beat himself up. There's not much they can do at this point. You know, it's not cool that he shot Carl, but, you know. He's okay, and we're past that. And uh, we find out that Otis and Patricia were staying in the Wilshire Estates, where our crew just were, and tells how, you know, things went south there. So meanwhile, Andrea sort of comes up to Alan, whose wife died, you know, and just just a little while ago, and tells him that he's got to be strong for his kids, and that he's got to pull it to, together. And you know, she lost her sister. Everybody's lost somebody. He's got. To, but he's got kids, you know, he can't lose it. And Alan basically just tells her to fuck off. You know, he's he's pissed. Don't tell me how to grieve. Fuck off. So so Carl wakes up and, you know, he's he's doing really good. He's asking for his hat and everyone's relief. He uh, he's, he's, you know, alert and seems to be himself. And he's surprised that he got shot. And then um, Sophia runs in and gives him a big kiss, much to his, you know, chagrin. Kind of grosses him out. So, uh, meanwhile, Dale sort of comes up behind Lori, who's standing out and just sort of looking across the field, and just sort of says, hey, look, you know, I'm not saying, but if that baby's Shane's, you know, don't tell Rick. You know, he's keeping us all together, and that would sort of kill him. And, you know, he said if the baby isn't Rick, so she should take that to her grave, you know, that he's, he's the guy who doesn't lose his cool, and they need him not to lose his cool. So uh, after dinner, Maggie's talking to Glenn, and she saw him sort of mooning after Carol and, uh, you know, asked him what's up with that, and he said, well, he had a, sort of had a crush on her, and then Tyrese, you know, sort of made the first move before he did, and so he was just sort of regretting making that mistake, and so, you know, Maggie just uh, says to Glenn, hey, why don't we have sex, you know? Our options are limited, and time's wasted, you know, it could be the end of the world tomorrow. So Glenn, of course, readily agrees. And uh, <laughs> on the other end, Tyrese tells his daughter, no sex. 
He, you know, he's she's there with her boyfriend. He's wants no sex, no more of that funny business. Doesn't want her pregnant under these circumstances. You know, he doesn't know how Lori's dealing with it. And after she leaves, her and her boyfriend have a sort of, you know, talking about a plan to, to you know, enacting their plan so they could be together and be out of the father's influence and. You know, and he says he wants to do it now, and she's like, "No, we've got to wait for the right time." And then, um, then we see Rick and Herschel, the farmer, are sort of talking, and Herschel's telling his story. And you know, he was a veterinarian, and then he lost his wife, and and she ran the business part of the veterinary clinic, or you know, the veterinary practice, and so it sort of went to hell after that. So, as his father's dying wish, he took over the farm. And he seems he really enjoys farming and you know having a good honest living. And Rick says, "Well, hey, we're sick of you know sleeping in the RV, and you only got so many rooms in the house. You know, you mind if the rest of us just bunk in the barn?" And much to Rick's horror, Herschel says, "No, you know that's where we keep our dead ones." And that's the end of that episode issue. Issue episode. Just with a horrified Rick realizing there's a barn full of zombies, apparently. Yep. Just when it looks like, you know, they, they've they met some nice, normal, stable country folk, and then you realize, nope, these people nope, are damaged up, too, you know? Something's up here, yep. Yep. The, these people aren't right, but, you know, I really like this issue a lot. You know, it, it's it's like you said, there, there's a lot of it's basically, conversations... It with a lot of action and then just leads to a lot of intense conversations of people really having, Mm -hmm. you know, just they're all cut through the bullshit conversations. You know, once again, I I think that uh, Kirkman does a great job of some of the dialogue in this feels so real because, you know, the first thing when, uh, when Carl wakes is he asks, where's my hat? Which just seems like such a real thing for a little boy. You know, he, he's going to focus on some aspect. Like, you know, like if he had a toy with him, it'd be, you know, where, where's my where's my action figure? Where's my car? You know, but in his case, he had a hat. You know, so it's, where's my hat? I love that. It just seems so very real to me. You know, like, like something a little kid really would say. I love that. And, uh... You know, there's something I've been I've teased several times. You know, since we started these Walking Dead reviews, which which can finally be revealed, which was if Carl had died in this issue, I don't know that I would have kept reading The Walking Dead. And it's funny looking back on that that I had such a strong feeling of that that I felt that way because I read this issue now and I I have trouble recalling whatever my thoughts or emotions were at the time but for some right. reason the but he got shot at the end of the last issue well you have it sons. really hit me what well, yeah it was that but it was also it, it also kind of played a little bit into that thing you know we talked a bit a bit about this before about about boundaries and this is where I started to realize that this was not gonna be this was going to be basically a boundaryless story where there were going to be places that you wouldn't think a writer would go or, or certain things that he wouldn't go past. And, and I started to realize that, no, he, he'll go anywhere. 
You know, there's not anything that he's afraid to tackle. And we're going to see that come up again, you know, later on. There's there's other horrific and, and intense and uncomfortable things that yeah. happen that lesser writers, I think, would shy away from or, or – really or, screw up and make it horribly, like, repulsive. Right. And he, he and he pulls it off. But that was one of the things in this was that, you know, you look back at, like, the, the uh, original Romero trilogy just as an example. And, I mean, I think there's only one time we ever see zombie kids. Right. You know, it just seemed like something that he didn't want to tackle and that... Well, in the first w- movie... There was somewhere was he a, didn't want to go. In the first movie, it was a zombie daughter knifes her mom to death with a trowel. That was pretty yeah, taboo but I, at but the I'm time. I'm talking kids, though. I'm talking like 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 young, you know, like Carl age kids. Yeah, this girl that... was like ten years old or something like that. You know, well, Carl's a was little she... younger than that, but yeah, she was a little kid. Oh, okay. And it, that was a big was deal at the time. It's not as horrific now, but at the time, that was pretty, pretty much yeah. But after that, there's not really anything. I think maybe he'd thought been there, done that. <laughs> could be, but yeah, it's it's just funny to me. I wish I could really put myself back to whatever I was thinking at the time. But I, I remember having a really, really strong reaction to the last, you know, to the prior issue, and thinking if he's dead or dies in that next issue, I, I think I'm done with this book. And that's so odd that I can't really put my finger on what exactly it was now it was just that sense of that's over the line you know that that's that's too much and it's just weird because this place that they're at right here is and pretty thinking mild. that is really mild considering yeah. the stuff that lays in wait for them down the road because they're they're in for so much more and things that are a lot more horrific than a, than a kid getting shot and dying yeah. You know, I mean, just some really, really wicked stuff. So, but uh, I like, you know, that, that we get, you know, every time a large section of the cast gets wiped out, pretty quickly we get new faces. And I, I like that, how, how yeah. there's always a replenishment of new zombie fodder, you know. Right. <laughs> I, think, I think that's great, you know, how the he, feedback and he does it. fills back up. Yeah, and it, it's done very cleverly to where I don't think a lot of times that you consciously realize, up oh, here's a whole new set of people that we can right. watch. You know, we can get a semi-attached to, and watch them die. And I think he can do that almost at infinitum before we'll we'll really start to feel like, oh, you know, okay, I'm getting tired of this. Because I mean, here we are now. What are we? Sixty something issues into it, yeah. and he's done this several times. But no, it still feels very natural. I still don't feel like, you know, like it's cliched or well, like it's, well, it's here's the, here's like the new bunch li- of- It's playing out like the real life situation is. He's painted right. a very bad situation and its impact is going to be really negative. You know, people, death is, death is a part of daily life now, you know. And hence the title. It could be the zombies. It could be the people, you know. Right. So... Well, my uh, my other favorite part of this book is the uh, the exchange between um, Alan and 
Damn it, what is that girl's name? Dale's young squeeze there. What the hell is her name? Andrea. Andrea, Andrea yeah. I love this sequence because that also feels so real because I, I like you know that that Kirkman some of these characters act in ways I've always wanted to read a char- you know see a character either in a in a like a comic or a movie or a book act you know which is here here's the end of the world and you never you know this big zombie thing but I can't remember ever seeing a character like completely lose it as far as they snapped and couldn't handle it you know it seems like in a in a, in a horrible situation you know like in these zombie movies per se everybody steps up and everybody's able to handle the situation and they very quickly get used to the fact that there's you know walking corpses trying to eat them but nobody like just sits in a corner and holds their head and cries and can't uh, fucking deep you know well you're not a big fan of the original night of the living dead because that's barbara's character in night in the original night of, in the original night of the living dead barbara is so overcome after her brother gets grabbed by a zombie she's basically a vegetable through all of it when she talks it's just yeah like you're little right girl, yeah. little girl babbly talk you know yeah i always whenever i think of night of the living dead i i'll be honest with you i always think of the remake with patricia tallman where she's a very strong character strong strong character i like that version so much better than the original i'm just not a big fan of the original one you're you're right you're on you're yeah so you're that's true. That's yeah. an honest statement that I don't give that one uh, enough due, I guess. But yeah, you're right. But you know, in this instance here, you know, with with Alan, he's another kind of character that I don't think either we haven't ever gotten or we haven't gotten enough of is the ca- character that just kind of shuts down. You know, he hasn't flipped out and he's not, you know, sobbing in a corner, but at, at the same rate, he's not any good to anybody. He's he's completely traumatized by this. And I love that when Andrea comes to talk to him, he just snaps on her. You know, it's like, you know, who the hell are you to tell me anything? Fuck off. You know, and that that seems like a very real reaction too. that this guy just, you know, it's... I guess what I'm getting at is a lot of times, well, again, a lot of you know, times like, he would go, yeah, you're right. You know, I'll try, you know, right. Thanks for well, you sharing know, a, with me. <laughs> you know, in a movie, you've only got a couple hours to play with, you know, two, two and a half hours at most. So you don't really have time for somebody in the cast to kind of stand around and not do anything. You don't have, uh, you don't have time for a moment like this, but I love it in this because it's an ongoing comic. You've got time for somebody to, to not instantly get over it and, and just be another one of the action heroes. You know, this guy is going to take some time to get past this, that even though they're in a, a life or death situation and everybody else feels like, you know, she's trying to tell them, you know, we don't have time for your bullshit. He's got to make the time because he just isn't able to just put it instantly behind him like everybody else and, and, you know, continue with the situation. I like that. I think that's a very honest, you know, portrayal of of 
there, there, you would think Grief. that there would be at least one person that that would not yeah. be able to just say, "Well, well Rick, she's Rick, dead, and I gotta forge ahead right. for the kids." You know, Rick kind of has a little bit of a shutdown in this one too. You know, he's freaking out, and like Tyrese sort of snaps him out. You know, Tyrese sort of pulls the Rick and like takes charge, and and when he gets when he gets to the farmhouse and. Herschel starts working on his kid. He all he can do is stand there in shock, you know, with his mouth hanging open, you know. Right. So, so Rick gets a little bit of it too, which is what I think, you know, spurred the whole conversation about, you know, if the baby's not his, don't tell him, you know. I think Alan might right. have noticed that, and, and uh, Dale. Sort of said, what was it, Dale? <laughs> Oh, right. Alan was yeah. what we were just talking about. I always get those two mixed up, those two. Yeah, me Hodgers. too. Yeah, Dale's the old man. I notice he's not quite as pudgy in this as I, th- I think later on he's drawn very much like like the, the you know, the pudgy old man, you know? Well, there's a reason Whereas I it, think he's pudgier, where, where, but I'll get into that. I won't get into that because it'll be a spoiler. Oh, Okay. Say eat better in the future is how to yeah okay <laughs> well there's a combination of things yes. yeah but uh yeah I also noticed that I think he and Herschel are drawn just a little bit too much alike as well because that was one of my complaints is that it was nice to be back at this point with you know the introduction to all of Herschel's clan. Because a lot of times when you get the the large cast like this and certain characters look alike, you know, like his two daughters look almost exactly the same. Yeah. You know, because they don't constantly refer to them by name in every instance or, or even a lot of times in every issue, I start to lose the names after well, a while. Well, that's why he started, he started running a little picture of everybody in Deceased and a picture of right. who they were and who they were related to and what their relationship to everybody else was. Right. Yeah. So you could sort I, of I, So I you could that. be reading a you could be reading an episode go wait or an issue and go wait what the hell is going on here you know and then you could just flip to the back go oh that's right that's who that is you know. Which is kind of cool because that's kind of how it is in real life somehow. Sometimes you mm-hmm. know when you when you when you're meeting a lot of people and and stuff like that. It's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. what was your name again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's yeah. I kind of need that on on a book, you know. And, and these, not only is there a large cast, usually every issue, but that are that large cast turns over very quickly. You know, people people come in, people die. You know, and and it's a constantly replenishing large cast of characters. So yeah. it is tough to keep track a lot of times of of who's who and what their situation is and because we often meet these characters in a group where you know some of them are, are related and look similar you know like uh, Andrea and her sister looked very much alike all of Herschel's kids look very much alike you know yeah I, I kind of need that cheat sheet yeah. to keep them all straight yeah <laughs> But yeah, I I like this. It's funny because before we we sat down to to do this one, before I sat down to reread it, I, I had the feeling that I didn't like this one. I don't know why. I I guess I just misremembered. Maybe it was 
owing back to the, those feelings about Carl or, or whatever, but it had been a while since I had read this. And for some reason, I, I, not, I remembered not liking where this story starts to go and, and that reveal at the end about, you know, well, we keep our dead ones in the barn. There was something about that was one of the few times in the Walking Dead storyline where I, I felt like, you know, like I kind of had the rolled eyes like, oh, brother, that's kind of goofy, you know. But I'm interested to reread it now and, and see if I still have the same reaction because the thing with the with the dead ones in the barn, at the time I read it, I thought was a little bit of a stretch, you know, when we get into um, Herschel's you whole don't, well, you reasoning don't, on that. Yeah, well, you don't really – you don't like at this point in the story. You don't know why Herschel would do that, but there's you know he's got there's some elements to his character that we'll find out in the next issue that right you know, that will uh, color a lot of what Herschel does and happens with him in in the you know story story arcs ahead. Right there, I mean. To, to Kirkman's credit, I mean, here we are at what the the latest issue is like sixty four, sixty five. Yeah. I mean, in in that in that entire time, I mean, there's only a couple tiny little instances where I ever did, had that reaction, had that like rolled eyes, or had that like eh, I don't really like how that's going. I mean, to to do sixty five straight issues. And and oh, really yeah. never have much of a much of a that sucks you know I mean I I can't remember ever having that reaction there's only you know like I said a couple of times where I was like Meh, I don't know about that but other than that I mean that's pretty remarkable I can't think of any other thing I've ever read for that long where there wasn't one clunker somewhere you know one issue that I thought well that just kind of sucked you know. That's pretty. That's yeah. pretty damn remarkable. I think you know that. That's that's quite a, a feather in his writing cap. <laughs> but yeah, that's. I think that's all I've got for this tissue. I, I enjoyed this. I think yeah. this is a really good one, and I, I like the. I like the world building that goes on in this. It's it's funny because it starts so action packed, and um, it manages that. Just happens to be the little prelude to, it and it's just all character development after that and I love it the the character development and conversations in The Walking Dead are equally as you know equally as good as the zombie fight scenes there's way more of them but it it's great you know everyone it's everyone's a winner everyone a winner I like I really like the moment between Alan and Lori as well I meant yeah. to comment on that because that in that moment, he reminds me a lot of uh, 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 the father of a girl I used to date. I can remember one time we had a conversation very much like this where he just kind of came up. He said, I'm going to talk. You're going to listen. We're not going to argue. I just have something to say. And that's it. You know, yeah. and then which is exactly what Alan does. You know, he just comes up and he says, you know, I'm going to say something. You're going to listen. I may be right. I may be that's wrong. That's that. Yeah. But Let I'm me just get it. this off my chest. Yeah, and he he says his piece, you know, be, practically begs her that if you know if that baby's not Rick's, take it to your grave. Don't say shit to him about it. And you know that's not an accusation. I don't care. I'm just saying, you know, we yeah. need him, and 
and he says it and he walks off and I love it. It's a beautiful scene because she doesn't yeah. say a word. He says his piece and, and walks off and you can tell that the gears are turning that, yeah. you know, she's not necessarily pissed or anything, but she's just thinking that, you know what? He's probably got a good point. Yeah. I love it. That's, I think that's, that's a great, great scene. And, uh, yeah. And what's her name? Maggie. Maggie. Maggie just comes right out and tells Glenn, "Well, I'll fuck you if you want." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I love that scene. He's got he's got that total like stupid grin Fall. on his face at the end. He's like, "Yeah, sure, sure, sure." sure. <laughs> Let's get right. No out problem. <laughs> and it'll be. Even, I like a straightforward girl. Yeah, and it'll be even funny when you find out about. Herschel in the next one why with that all that going on but that's for next time it actually won't be next time because next time will be Superman the movie but after that we'll be back to the Walking Dead and our swamp things and all our other things our Superman family things mm-hmm in the meantime you got anything you want to uh, you want to pitch or, or or hawk or anything like that? I want to pitch a tent in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well you you get right on that. <laughs> Good night, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.